This week, we are delighted to have Tara Austin on the 42 Courses podcast. Tara is Head of Strategy for Home, a decentralised creative consultancy. Prior to this, she was the Chief Strategy Officer of Kindred, an agency that specialised in delivering behaviour change campaigns across the public and private sectors, and Creative Strategy Director for the Behavioural Science Practice within Ogilvy. Tara won her first gold line in 2012 for Ogilvy Consulting's inaugural behavioural experiment, which saw it paint the faces of local babies onto shop security shutters to bring down antisocial behaviour in Greenwich after the London riots. She is a certified trainer of Edward de Bono's lateral thinking techniques and an all-round de Bono fangirl. In this episode, we talk about de Bono, creativity, why drugs are helpful to the creative process, and some of Tara's top tips for being more creative. You can follow her on Twitter at Austin T. I wanted to begin by saying we are so pleased to have you on the podcast today. Um, Tara Austin, the amazing Tara Austin. Um, And yeah, we just kind of wanted to chat about all things creativity and particularly kind of your love of of Edward de Bono and, and how you got into uh, learning about his work and then kind of talking a bit about your interest in psychedelics and how that relates to creativity and then I guess sharing a bit of your wisdom with everybody in terms of you know how you are uh, how you use your creative techniques in your your day-to-day life and maybe sharing some of your favorite books and tools and techniques um, and that's kind of kind of it um, right. and so yeah the the famous amazing Edward de Bono um, mm-hmm. How did you kind of first kind of come across his work and what got you got you into him? Well, I think I I heard of De Bono is one of those names that you you hear kind of growing up. It's in the ether. But the first time I ever took his work seriously was um, I think it was 2017. No, it might have been 2016. And uh, Dave Trott was speaking at Nudge Stock, which is the Festival of Behavioural Science that Ogilvy uh, run and I, I used to um, run that myself when I was working there and um, Dave was talking about De Bono and how important it is to have a truly new creative idea and how what the what the mechanisms are and the underlie creativity and I suppose working in the creative industries working at Ogilvy um, I hadn't really spent a great deal of time really unpacking what creativity was and how it happened and and uh, and some of the more underlying kind of neuroscience behind it as well. And Dave inspired me. And so I, I, I was lucky enough to get some funding um, to then, I, I became very interested in Debono and I started reading his books and I got some funding to become a trainer of uh, trainers, actually, a trainer of trainers for lateral thinking, because my intention was to train some of the Ogilvy team to then go off and train others in lateral thinking, uh, which is really the science of, of creativity, as I understand it. So um, in 1967, De Bono wrote The Mechanism of Mind. Um, and in it, he says that the, um, well, I think he anticipates as much of what we understand from modern neuroscience are the underlying mechanisms for creativity. So he says that the brain is not a passive information processing system. It is not a piece of paper that you write on and then you can write something else on it and then you can write something else. It's not a computer. It doesn't record 
what it does is actively organize itself around the information that it receives over time. Um, and so something that you, some piece of information that you receive very early on ultimately shapes the brain so that a later piece of information is organized in, in the context of that. And um, this is really, it's like very fundamental. It seems very simplistic, but it's, it's deeply important. It means that time and our experiences um, over time shape everything for us, um, for one thing. But it also means that um, you, it means that the brain is a patterning system. Um, so in, in that organization, it sees, it detects pattern, and it sort of deepens that pattern. And, and I'm sure you, many of of your listeners will be very familiar with something called confirmation bias whereby if we've already received a piece of information we are more sensitive to that information so if i've already decided that the queen is wonderful i will both see i will notice and i will remember um the information that confirms that belief and all the anti-monarchistic stuff i'll just forget about it and i won't even see it um, i'm just confirming all the time and i'm deepening and kind of uh, collecting more information that, that, that uh, deepens that, that same um, thought. Um, so uh, De Bono gives the an analogy that the brain is kind of like jelly um, and that if you poured hot water over jelly it would melt some of the jelly in like a little channel and, it, the, and the water would run off and then if you poured more hot water onto the jelly it would, it would sink into that channel and it would melt more of that channel and again it would run off and if you repeat this again and again eventually you, the hot water would fall directly into the channel. It wouldn't touch the rest of the jelly and, uh, and that's it. And you can think of it as, I like the jelly analogy because I don't like to uh, think of the brain as sort of jelly, but um, it's the I same if you were thinking about it as a, as, a, as a landscape. The rain falls, it falls into, it starts to wear away a groove. And of course, eventually the water runs straight into the river um, and isn't eroding everything else around it. Now, this is wonderful. And De Bono says our thinking is excellent, but it is not enough. Um, because if we're only ever confirming our previous beliefs and we are um, basing our uh, thinking around uh, what we already know to be true and our, effectively our previous experience, that doesn't leave much room for um, creativity and thinking entirely new things. And so what right. he says is we need to move laterally. We need to kind of cut sideways across the jelly um, right. and make totally new connections in the mind um the connections that were not there before we need to we need to effectively almost like drill new holes we need to create new holes in that jelly or in that, that landscape um in order to in order to create new neural pathways new thoughts new creative solutions um and he came and one of the things i really loved about this was um working in as i say in the creative industries and as a at the time as really a, a brand planner or strategist my job was to brief creative teams Mm -hmm. and uh and to provide and and thereby provide the conditions for creativity to help them see whatever problem was on the table in a, in a new light and to bring something truly interesting and different to the table um and and to do it in a short space of time and this is the thing so uh, de bono basically says lateral thinking is not waiting for the news to strike it is forced creativity he says if you if opportunity uh if i think if, if opportunity doesn't knock make a door you know right. like it's uh and 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 this is the whole thing it, it's 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 about techniques lateral thinking are uh, lateral thinking is about techniques to create these new pathways in the mind um and some of them and this is a big part of the process will be completely rubbish 
Um, he has uh, three principles um, uh, by which you kind of workshop uh, creatively. Um, you need to be uh, playful. You need to mm -hmm. you need to think innocently in a way like a child. You need to open that mind yep. up to possibility. You need to be positive. You need to believe that you can solve the problem because if you don't, again, you're going to shut down and you're going to judge your ideas to not be possible and, and therefore you're not going to think um, in ways that can help you get to the answer. Mm -hmm. But I think more than anything, he says, um, you need to be prolific. Um, and this is about generating way more ideas than you possibly need in order to have one really good one. And that is the way that the classical advertising industry creative process happens. Mm -hmm. You brief a whole bunch of people, they go away, they come up with loads of stuff and eventually the creative director sort of hones in on the one idea that is going to, uh, that you're going to, uh, progress but there's a lot of wastage in the system and that wastage is in integral to the process the difference right. between lateral and, and vertical thinking is that uh say we're in a a, a, a workshop um i use the word workshop because de bono hates the word brainstorming he hates the idea that if you get people in a room and all generate ideas mm -hmm. um it's it's useless because half of the time what happens is vertical thinking so uh, you'll have a dominant voice like me in the room. I'll come up with something interesting and everyone will go, oh, great. Oh, she's had a brilliant idea. Oh, that. oh great. That's, that sounds good. Therefore, problem solved. I now no longer have to have a good idea. Right. And, um, and that's actually, that's judgment. That uh, might be positive judgment, but it's still judgment. And what De Bono says is you need to come up with, you need to, instead of following that, oh, that, that sounds good. I'm going to mm -hmm. judge it as good and, and follow that idea. It's movement. You need to move on to the next idea and the next idea and the next idea. And you need to be as prolific as possible, generate as many ideas as you can mm -hmm. in order to then go, then later say, right, now I'm going to wear what he calls the black cat of judgment. I'm going to detect which of these is totally, you know, yeah. it crazy out there, like That's... not going to happen. But I'm going to judge it then in the, in the workshop itself. I'm just going to be prolific. I'm going to generate because you never know where the next... Like if right. you keep moving, you're never going to know when the next idea might be even better. Yeah, there's uh, that, um, I'll par paraphrasing it obviously, but there's that Linus Pauling quote, isn't there, to have good ideas, you need to have lots of bad ones or, or whatever yeah. he says. It's like you, you, in order to come up with the best ideas, you have to keep generating lots of not so good ideas. Um, I think 3M, who are the post-it people, um, they say that you need to have 400 ideas, to have 40 half good ones, to have four that are good, like really good. Oh, I love that. And, work, and, and, that's, um, and that's what I certainly aim at in, in any workshop is to, to generate more than a hundred ideas at least in one, maybe even half hour, hour sitting. Um, but sometimes depending on how many people are at the table, a, a lot more. I mean, mm. the, the, big, the hardest thing with a workshop is that you, it, the workshop is to create that germ, that first connection. Mm -hmm. um, it's afterwards that you then have to process he talks about a process called harvesting, which is kind of going over um, the, 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 the germs of ideas and, like, and, and, um, and, and, and re-exploring those. And like, it's, it's post-workshops, there's actually a lot more work of how yeah. you process what, what, what's come out of it. Um, I think he, talks about, he did one workshop in South Africa with like thousands of people and it, it took a year to kind of go through all of the, wow. <laughs> like, all of the output. Wow, that's but, insane. Um, no, I love the jelly, the jelly brain analogy. Mm. And um, yeah, you talked a lot about lateral thinking in there, which is obviously his mm. thing that he's most famous for. And I think 
he coined that was it in 67 mm. or something um yeah. but are there alongside lateral thinking are there any other kind of elements of his work that you particularly kind of admire or or use that you think are perhaps what less well known because i mean you know lateral thinking is quite a sort of commonly well, I understood yeah i mean i i tend to i mean i <laughs> i suppose because it might well, probably my own ego here but i'm uh because i've had the lateral thinking training i'm much better versed in lateral thinking techniques so there's a number of different techniques that i use um, I'm less familiar and I, I tend, I, I, I don't tend to use, for example, the six thinking hats, uh, mm -hmm. which is more business management decision making in a kind of fuller process way, if you like. Um, two of the hats, though, are lateral thinking tools. So as I mentioned, he wears the, the black hat of judgment is, can we do this? Can't we do this? Like, what are the problems looking for the negatives in, in something? Mm -hmm. um, uh, and uh, oh, and the green hat is the green the green hat of creativity of lateral thinking. So when we're in a workshop, I actually have two hats. I have a green hat and a black hat. And I, I um, and again, so this is about creating. A, I have I have them just here. In fact. Oh wow! Okay, uh, cool. For the that. for the tape, I have okay. two little identical little funny little turbans. Oh, and um, and they serve quite a purpose actually because a big thing about the workshopping is that that playful um, positive prolific environment um, what I do is you know if, if you're dealing with people whose everyday work is thinking about some of these problems how do you uh, get people to recycle how do you um, reduce crime whatever it is they've all they all come into the room with answers um, mm -hmm. and actually before I run any lateral thinking workshop I um, run what Devona calls a Brutus exercise which is bring right up the usual suspects oh, um, and that is just genuinely getting people in the room. And it always surprises people that, you know, you, you talk about all the challenges that effectively the brief and they go, right, now I want you to write down all the answers you have for this, right? Before they've done anything at all. And, and it's because everybody comes to the room knowing what the answer is. They believe there's more money, more police on the streets, more, uh, I don't know, whatever, whatever it is. It's the um, obvious, the obvious, the obvious answers. And yeah. do you know what? The obvious answer might be the right answer, might be the correct answer. But again, it's our thinking is excellent, but it's not enough. It's like my job in that workshop is to push you beyond. And, and the danger with traditional sort of um, brainstorming techniques and, and uh, working with groups to generate creative ideas is that there's so much ego. We all have our, our, we all have our ego and we're very protective of our creative ideas. But if you've got a great idea, you will typically wait for the perfect moment in mm. which to release your, you know, mind blowing idea onto yeah. the group. Um, and so you're spending all of that time, instead of creating, you're spending all of that time withholding and waiting and, and actually, yeah, so Brutus exercise right up front is, a, is um, uh, generally a, a very good idea. Um, I love that tool. Yeah, that sounds really... I, I, I'm, I'm not sure, like some of his other, some of his other, work, I mean, he's written something like, 87 books unbelievable isn't it in like like however many languages a lot of them repeat the same themes i, w I don't think he would be upset with me for saying that um because some of this stuff is it's just about thinking about thinking it's about metacognition and um and i mean he's he's quite uh direct in saying that um he doesn't believe in western culture since uh, uh, since um, the, the great three, because of the, the big three, I think he calls them Plato, Socrates, and Aristotle. Aristotle since yeah. then, we haven't we haven't really thought about thinking, uh, is what he says. Which is not it's a bit of a stretch, but he is right in that we 
um, the more you think about thought, and in this instance, creative thought, but you know, he's also talking about management of how you manage decision making as well with his six thinking hats. Mm-hmm. Uh, the more you think about thought, the like the greater that there's such a great payoff for that. And I think the, mm-hmm. there's so much evidence now from the behavioral sciences that you know, if you get people to think about truth, they mm-hmm. are it's it's basically the only condition in which you can get someone to change their mind about anything. Do you want to convince a Republican to be uh, you know more liberal or whatever it is? The only way you can do that, and vice versa, the only way you can do that is to get them to like there's some experimentation around getting them to think could is it feasible that you could be wrong about this or mm. um it, what does it mean to be right about this and mm. getting people to do that metacognition which i very strongly believe mm. is something that should be really honed in our education system like these mm. are the tools that we really need today to be more to be more discerning to be more um in order to defend ourselves from disinformation which mm-hmm. as we all know is a very live uh, present danger or as maybe if you're in the intelligentsia, you know, it's a live present danger, but actually it is a live present danger to our democracy. Um, getting people to really think about what it is um, they believe mm-hmm. is, um, and how to think, I think is, is critical. So, and he's, he has done, so he's done a lot of work. There's a program called CORE, um, which is about the education system. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he's got, a, I think, quite a lot of evidence around how teaching, teaching his CORE program to children ultimately uh how pays off in, in you know great results in terms of their their thinking and also their um how they approach the rest of their academic life you know right and and on that point of, of thinking and cognition and thinking differently i guess which is all part of creativity i know you've done a lot of uh, research around psychedelics and creativity and i guess it's such an interesting topic because you know so often that kind of uh trope of the the artist who indulges in in drugs and you know that's key to their creativity and i guess what i wanted to ask you is from all the research you've done you know are drugs helpful to the creative process um if so which ones Mm. um and and you know particularly with psychedelics because i think this is a sort of interesting emerging area it's not quite mainstream yet you know what that relationship is between as far as we know psychedelics and the creative process in terms of how the mind mind mm. works i guess that builds a bit on what you were talking about in terms of the the jelly analogy how yeah how psychedelics interrupt that or, or or change it yeah well i i am very evangelical um from everything i have read about um the potential for psychedelics to change our society for the better um because um from from i i, I am i am little miss evidence-based and um and i'm a libertarian you know i i I don't believe in uh controlling um or or i believe in controlling substances but i don't believe in uh, banning um anything uh unless it it can be directly linked to significant like to harm um i believe strongly in education but i don't i don't believe in um you know kind of just restricting things because somebody else thinks they're a bad idea um frankly they can bugger off um and like if you know uh, the kind of the research that's coming out of particularly out of imperial and john hopkins i think we are leading the world in this research um david nutt's team and uh, robin carhart harris these people are showing beyond doubt that uh, certainly that um psychedelics have the power to uh 
to reset the mind. Uh, so I mentioned these dominant patterned ways of thinking, um, which is what the mind is so brilliantly able to do. It's why we are the top of the, of the food chain. Um, we, are, we, we have, we possess the most, I love this phrase, the most complex object in the known universe. The brain is the most complex object in the known universe. We know less about it than we know about black holes. Mm. Um, but what we are, and, and, and so this research is very new and groundbreaking. And, and what we're seeing from psychedelics is they have this power to connect the brain. Mm. And, um, and the most pertinent use to society, certainly when that comes to um, uh, issues where the, the brain has patterned into a, uh, a negative uh, or destructive patterning system. So anything from um, depression to anorexia to alcoholism, you know, they are now really starting to understand all of these conditions track back to the same fundamental neuro neurological mechanisms and the same mechanisms that I would argue de Bono was talking about. Uh, they say now, you know, neurons that fire together, wire together, we're strengthening these, deepening these connections in the brain all, all the time. And if that, if that connection says, you're worthless, you're worthless, you're worthless, and you're, and you're confirming that all the time in the evidence around you, um, that's a very difficult pattern to break out of. Mm. Amazing uh, journalist uh, today, Michael Pollan uh, from the New York Times, has written a, a very, uh, a pretty game-changing book about the work that is going on, the research that's going on, um, called How to Change Your Mind. And I, I would recommend it to anyone um, because it really unpacks how uh, well, for one thing, why psychedelics are banned in the first place, which was absolutely around kind of moral outrage and uh, a very conservative-leaning uh, system. But mm -hmm. um, but what he does is talk about how, like the the neuroscience of how the brain kind of connects with psychedelics, and um, this and and while the emphasis is very much on the, as I say, the kind of the power in terms of the mental health um, aspects and how these can heal. Um, Actually, this plays out, you know, in the creative industries as well, because when the mind connects, it creates. And, and, um, and that is all that creativity truly is, is making mm -hmm. a new connection in the mind, is breaking out that patterned way of, of thinking. Uh, and certainly um, all of the evidence that we have uh, thus far, and there isn't anywhere near enough, is suggesting that, that creative psychedelics can aid the creative process. I mean, used judiciously, I'm, I'm, I'm very much for... The therapeutic benefits of, of psychedelics but they do have um from what we can see uh yeah creative impact um and uh they yeah they allow the brain to just connect to itself this is why people experience hallucinations when they're having psychedelic experiences is because you you're effectively your visual cortex is suddenly connecting to something else your memories your your feet your emotion Right. Um, but it might also be, it might also, if you, you know, it might connect to um, your, you know, taste or audio. I've, I've, I was watching uh, some, many documentaries about this stuff at the moment. I was watching one, um, someone was talking about synesthesia during a psychedelic experience and being able to kind of taste sound or being able to see uh, a taste, you know, or being able to see a colour. Oh, no, it's not see a colour. Of course, we all see a colour, but, you know, this kind of this. Feel the colour or whatever. Feel the colour hear a color see and and these things um connecting mm. um are you know th that's that's the fundamental basis of creativity i think it's interesting to note that uh silicon valley um are are microdosing with mm -hmm. um whether it's lsd or psilocybin mm -hmm. um and there is i think at the moment the most research really that we have is around psilocybin but um that these yeah the, the it'd be interesting to see does the next 
truly great technological breakthrough come from ultimately from somebody who is in a more creative mindset. Now, the beautiful Wait. thing about lateral thinking is you can do that legally. You can do right. that within the law, within the jurisdiction, yeah. and you can. And lateral thinking, I, I believe, is the is the closest. Those techniques which force the mind to be creative, mm -hmm. whether that's um, De Bono uses things like a random word technique, where you take a totally, totally random piece of stimulus. It has to be random for it to work, mm -hmm. and you use that piece of stimulus to connect to to solve a, a creative idea. So you're cutting across the across the jelly, across the landscape, you're kind of drilling yeah. mad holes mad around holes everywhere. Mad holes. And then and then those mad holes, you know, strike gold or you find a spring, you know, and the spring connects back to the river and it all makes all makes sense in retrospect, in hindsight, but it's not how yeah. you've got it in the first place. Um, those psychedelics can do that um, mm -hmm. from what we understand so far, but they are not currently uh, not currently legal. I mean I'm very convinced they will be in the and it's certainly in my certainly in my lifetime because the research, as I say, the evidence base is huge for their therapeutic benefits. Um, but yeah, that I think that, that, that will will people in the creative industries be embracing that in the future? I'd be very surprised if it, if, if not, and I think they already do. Although those great you know lyricists and musicians and people classically you know Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds mm. actually you know someone like David Bowie he uh, uh, is famous for engaging in what is effectively a lateral thinking technique he would collect phrases and words mm. and then combine them combine them to create new things you know just like a uh, <clears throat> yeah I heard about that as a newspaper cut-up technique or yeah, something exactly, which I think yeah. had been practiced by some other person that he'd admired a writer or thinker yeah. that, that he then copy from and then yeah I mean I guess talking about creative heroes more in, in general we've had De Bono and David Bowie certainly is a creative hero for mm. lots of people too um, but are there are there any other creative heroes you know people you admire um, apart mm -hmm. from De Bono that have in some way inspired you or um, have, have apart, given you given you ideas yeah I mean apart from my my executive creative director that I work with my, my partner Mauro Rodriguez who is a genius as far as I'm concerned um him to one side I, I think um you know Rory, Rory Sutherland is is a lateral genius I mean and what's brilliant is he I mean he's for one thing he's he is totally positive playful mm. prolific like he, he he lives and breathes that he's very very generous mm. with his time with his creativity he's a wonderful man for one thing but he um he is sitting on such a wealth of knowledge uh, yes. around the behavioral sciences um but he allows and and that's the kind of bedrock so you know in any workshop uh environment when i'm trying to uh generate some new creative ideas you want these brilliant you know some people are not and you can train yourself to think like this more um you know actively you train yourself to make more connections and, and that's what creatives do when they go through kind of creative schooling i suppose is, is train themselves mm. to think like this Rory has all of that but it's also what have you plugged into the system what's already there what can you make connections with and mm. because he has such a wealth of interesting diverse experiences yeah. and, and and that's the other thing that you want is you know in those workshops you want diverse characters you want people who are going to mm -hmm. think differently you want that neurodiversity that diversity of experience because that mm. becomes the bedrock of what can you connect to what mm. what's the underlying kind of stuff mm. there um that that allows you to make that new creative connection mm. 
the lateral thinking techniques allow you to make the connection, but you've got to have something interesting there already. And, and so I think he's one of those people who really feeds his mind um, with interesting content. And I, I very much I, admire that. I mean, he's just a wonderful man to work with as well. I'm a great creative. Com completely agree. And as you, as you say, he ticks those three boxes, doesn't he? The playful, positive and mm. prolific. And then mm. that sitting on top of this enormous, very diverse, yeah. knowledge and you know he's he's uh he's a, he's a brilliant man and a as you say very generous inspiration with yeah a, re a real inspiration um and then you've talked about some great books the the michael pollan mm. one which everybody should definitely read um mm. but i was wondering if there are any other books obviously the the bono ones we've talked about too but mm. if there are any other sort of favorite books you know they don't have to be um they, they could be ones you've read recently or or ones from from ages past, but yeah, if there are any books you you'd recommend um, the listeners to to check out that have really inspired you? Sure, I mean, I think there are there are two books I probably th there are three books I recommend more than any other, um, and I have bought for people like repeatedly. I mean, my Amazon basket has many <laughs> issues of all three of these books. Um, the first is uh, Jonathan Haidt's The Righteous Mind. Um, I touched on earlier how impossible it is to change people's minds about anything, certainly when it comes to their moral stance. And I yep. think is, you know, I, I, I actually, I bought this book for an MP whose name I, I won't mention, um, who had never, who had never read it. And I was, I was horrified to read it, to, to, to understand because he's a friend of mine. Um, I was horrified to hear that he'd, he'd never read it because for me, Height lays out moral foundation theory, uh, which are the, the six uh, principles of morality. Uh, and he does it from the evolutionary basis. He says, this is why this mm. has come about in our evolutionary history. Mm -hmm. and, that, and that I think gives us, I guess that metacognition, it's, it's, he gives a really good full understanding of like the, of the behavioral sciences. I think he come like, he just co covers everything that you really want to know. And I, I recommend that book to, to so many people if they want to understand themselves and others. Um, yeah, I would agree. Fun I would little, agree. I mean, that, it's a very good read, actually. It's a really, it's, it's a it's brilliant thorough, book. But it's just a brilliant book. I, brilliant, I brilliant highly book. recommend I it. Um, there's, a, there's a book called The Age of Earthquakes by Douglas Copeland and Co. And mm. it's a, it, you'd read it on a train journey. It's hilarious. It's terrifying. Um, it's, it's in the same sort of format as uh, the medium is the message or right. math. I mean, I'm explaining the medium is the math, but it's um, uh, it's just a. It'll make you think. I. I it's very. Uh, it's a very pertinent book for our age. I won't uh, blow it, but page by page, it's interesting, slightly terrifying thoughts about the future of where we are going as a human race and and uh, the role of technology and what where that will take us and i think that's it's very insightful um but also it's great it's a great read it's fun it's a fun delivery you'll enjoy it um great and then the last one is a um is is a book by a man called jeff foster and it's called um falling in love with where you are and it was recommended to me by a friend um uh he was in madness his name's um carl smith and he, he was he was chaz smash he went one step beyond and um he left madness and um which was a, a huge thing like after you know i don't know 30 years of his life or something and right. at the time, madness I, I was, is a famous yeah, 
dominant. Oh, yeah, Madness is a, yeah, I mean, our house in the middle of our street, he wrote that one and they sang it on top of Viking Palace. So he's had a hell of a life and and he's a a great, great songwriter, actually, in his own right. But um, uh, he left Madness, which is huge, sort of traumatic, almost like a divorce, I suppose. Uh, You know, it's just a huge change, life change. And um, I was going through a very difficult time in my life and um, he recommended this book. And at the time I thought, every book someone recommends, I'm going to buy it, I'm going to read it. And he recommended this book and it, it honestly, I found it so deeply um, right and moving. And I, I regularly refer back to it and I refer, it, I refer people to it all the time um, mm. because I think we all struggle with, our, with being alive. Sometimes it's just, it's difficult to think and live and love and, you know, and to grieve and all of these things that happen to feel lonely, you know, like the, the lockdown has, has certainly uh, stirred up all, uh, all kinds of feelings. We all felt the feelings. Um, and this book, I th- find it as a, a great tool in how to think about uh, life at its, at its best and um, how, to, how to breathe kind of gratitude into what you do. And, and whilst I might say, and it sounds trite, when, when Jeff says it, it sounds deeply profound and moving. And there's this, there's this bit um, I always think of, and it's sort of always in my mind about how uh, humility, con- uh, humiliation can turn to humility in the space of just a heartbeat. And all that's left is to fall mm-hmm. to your knees in gratitude for all that has been given and has not yet been taken away. And and this is at the end of this lovely piece of prose that he writes about the fact that, you know, yes, you might be up now, but you'll be down tomorrow and that's okay. It's all right. There's no, there's no life story. There's no grand narrative. This is not the end of the film. Um, mm. You know, there's like, like there's going to be another day tomorrow and what's going to happen then. It's like this moving forward and, and change is the only constant. So that line of like what, real gratitude for what has been given and what's not, yet been taken away it's really hard when you're lacking you'll feel like we're lacking all the time and actually if you're truly present and he refers in the book a lot to sort of Eckhart Tolle and the power of now and you know if you really feel that being present you can be the master of your own happiness really I I love that happiness perspective but I I just think I often describe my behavioral science training as therapy Uh, so it's not training training's the wrong frame it's therapy um, because if we understand ourselves better, then ultimately we can not just be more sort of successful because that's pretty meaningless today. It's, it's not about success. It's just about living and with as much intention and consciousness and, more and fulfilled gratitude as, as yeah. possible. And, and I think, I, yeah, there's a lot of people rushing around out there who are very keen to uh, prove themselves. And one day, you know, as all of those great um, people, the Alistair Campbells, all of those guys who are, in number 10 and doing it you know like one day it all comes crashing down and and that's not um, you know I, we've all we'll all go there we all it happens mm. that's why i recommend this book so much to so many people so i bought it for other people brilliant brilliant minds who never thought that they would ever have any kind of mental challenges mm. actually know that you, you like it's the most complex subject in the known universe and first of all if you can master that if you can you know from the inside out then that's that's like you're really at the top of the food chain then like just buggering around trying to be successful by other people's standards is not it's not really where it's at so i'd heartily recommend that book to anybody 
That's awesome. Yeah, I've, I've, I've read the first one, which was, was brilliant, but not the second two. So that's mm. exciting. So we'll get hold of those. And we've probably got time for one more question. And that was to ask you, and I think I know the answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway, is what, what sort of the, the one idea that sort of most impacted your, your life? Oh, gosh, yes. Um, well, I suppose uh, in, a, in a sort of superficial way, the, the thing that's most impacted my life was um, this experience I had after the London riots where I read, read an article in the Grocer magazine, which everyone used to tease me about reading because the, the headlines are usually about cheese and stuff. But, um, but I read an article about how um, town planners wouldn't allow shopkeepers to install shop security shutters very easily because they made areas darker which I'd never even considered before because the, the shop shutters don't reflect light and so and they and they make these kind of uh, canyons of steel that are very oppressive and are a visible signal of the presence of crime so town planners hate them because they just bring down an area and I'd never thought about this before and and it was a genuine sort of insight into the town planning process uh, but what it led to and this is again this is the nature of kind of lateral connection was I connected that article to my experience on Hastings seafront, which is where I'm from. A few weeks and months earlier, um, Ben Ein, the, uh, the famous artist from Hackney, had painted these beautiful letters onto the front of the shutters um, in Hastings. And I was thinking about that, I thought, hang on, these are big, relatively flat media surfaces. In this instance, they are, they are street art, actually. And um, why are these planners not allowing shutters to be installed surely they can be uh, surely they can enhance an area um, and from that there was this connection made I thought right post riots let's see if Ogilvy will give me some money to paint some shutters <laughs> and we were at the time we were setting up Ogilvy change as it was Ogilvy consulting now um, the behavioral science practice uh, so Rory and Jez Groom um, were, were leading that and uh and i sort of put my hand on is that i you know i was i wanted to be involved i want to get involved as a strategist which i did and i ran the first experiment program we change which was painting the faces of local babies onto shop security shutters to try and bring down antisocial behavior after the london riots and to kind of recognize that these shutters were a sub really pretty subconscious ill for society that they were part of why people felt alienated from their local communities and why they felt it was okay to riot in the places where they lived, which really had shocked me about the London riots. Um, and, and again, it gets, it's, it's connection, connection, because it was, let's paint those shutters and then what can we paint? The idea of painting babies came from some research uh, in 2009 from the University of Pennsylvania Munster, a woman called Melanie Glocker had um, uh, sort of un uncovered that um, cute really matters to the brain and this thing called the baby schema which is the proportion of infant faces which stimulates uh, the, the mind to encourage nurturing behaviors which is of, again from an evolutionary basis you can fully understand why that would have emerged uh, so that we care for our young and, and Jonathan Haidt talks about this sort of stuff as well uh, the, the, the care principle but um, Glocker had shown that this was this was real and we used that piece of academic research in a very applied way to paint some shutters um, and I think that that you know that experience changed my life so um, and really brought me into the world of applied behavioral science and um, where I've been in this kind of 
hybrid role of working in the behavioral sciences and communications and, and seeing how they play off each other and looking at the work of people like Cialdini and influence and, and how we might influence one another. Um, and it is, so I think that first, whether it was the, whether it was town planning or whether it was the baby schema itself, either way, right. those, those concepts have really, um, have certainly shaped my life uh, for the better. I love that. It's such a nice, nice way to finish because it's kind of talking you through your creative process and your journey with, with that project, which is so mm. nice. And um, yeah, if anyone wants to check it out, I think it was called Babies of the Borough. Is that right? Babies of the Borough yeah. or, or when the creatives, you know, made some, I made a film about it. It was called The Power of Cute. The Power but of Cute, that was it. The Babies of the Borough. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if you can, anyone can check that out if they're interested. And I think we could probably put a link to it somewhere in the show notes. Um, Great, yeah. And yeah, the last thing to say is, Tara, you've been a, a wonderful guest and thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdom and, and all of those fun stories. Me. And um, yeah, we hope to have you on the podcast again at some point. Lovely. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us for this week's edition of the 42 Courses podcast. We'll be back soon with more interviews with some of the world's greatest minds. In the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at 42courses or check out our website 42courses.com for information on all the courses we offer. Have a great week.